Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sales Enablement Live. My name is Felix Krüger. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Krüger Marketing, a service provider in the sales enablement space. So we work with small sales enablement teams all around the world to support them to make better strategic decisions and get more done when it comes to implementing initiatives. Uh, today, we talk about a topic uh, that I'm really passionate about, which is buyer content personalization. But before we dive in, uh, I really want to uh, make a shout out to everybody who has been uh, uh, having conversations with me after last week's episode about uh, strategic sales tech sourcing and a lot of great feedback, uh, like a lot of great insights that I've gathered in those follow-up conversations. So thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, it's it's really added to my perspective and uh, really proven to me that um, strategic sales enablement and strategic sales tech sourcing is still uh, such a big issue for a lot of organizations. So everybody who's provided feedback, thank you so much. And uh, now I want to start talking about uh, today's episode and today's topic, which is um, the strategic personalization of buyer content. And uh, for those of you who haven't joined one of those streams, uh, yet, please make sure to uh, drop your comments um, in the in the chat, uh, no matter where you're um, where you're watching the stream. So we're live on YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So uh, just feel free to share your questions, and um, I will attempt to um, answer them um, towards the end of this presentation. So uh, yeah. So without further ado, let's dive right in. So strategic buyer content personalization and. Uh, in this presentation today, I really want to uh, share with you um, why personalization really matters, matters these days and how you can really tackle the challenge of personalization at scale for your organization. Now, the um, before we dive into the uh, nitty-gritty, um, I just want to make sure that we are on the same page when we talk about uh, buyer content. And... Buyer content, uh, to avoid any confusion, is really any content that supports buyers in making the best purchase decision possible for their organization as fast as possible. And um, when we think about content, you know, a lot of people only think about uh, articles or videos, but that could could really be anything that is delivered by the sales team. So that could be uh, conversations, uh, phone scripts, uh, emails. And then uh, things like uh, market research, case studies, microsites, buying guides, and so on. So there's a whole lot of uh, content um, that can be personalized and that is buyer-facing that, that supports buyers in making the best decision possible. Now, when we consider why content is becoming more and more, more relevant in the buying process and it is in the decision-making process, it's really worthwhile to consider some of the research data that Gartner has previously released um, that states that only 17% of uh, time spent during the buying process is uh, spent meeting with potential suppliers. And that's a really small percentage if you think about it. And um, it really should be cause for a lot of organizations to shift their mindset about um, what it really uh, takes to engage buyers throughout the buyer journey and um, um, the, the kind of channels that are being used to engage uh, buyers and really add value throughout the buying process. The rest of the time um, that, that buyers spend is researching independently online, re researching independently offline, and meeting with the buying group. So those are all occasions where 
content that you can provide can still offer value to buyers without you actually being present in real time and or sellers being present in real time. And um, yeah, it's it, this is really uh, one of the reasons or one of the major mind shifts uh, that I experience when working with clients um, that really causes them to reevaluate the way content is being shared um, with their target market. Now, okay, it makes sense to produce content for buyers to, to help them to make better decisions, but why is personalization so important? And uh, McKinsey has re recently released a study that, um, that really established that uh, non-personalized communications um, is not only desirable, but, uh, sorry, personalized communication is not only desirable, but non-personalized communication really poses a business risk um, in, no, no, in low loyalty environments. And this is the kind of environment that we're, um, that we're facing right now where, uh, you know, brand preferences and uh, relationships play a, um, a, a, play a um, more, uh, play less of a role and uh, loyalty is really up for grabs. And from a consumer perspective, 75% of consumers tried a new shopping uh, behavior during the pandemic. 71% uh, of consumers expect personalization and 76% of consumers get frustrated when they don't get it. Yeah. Now, if we delve deeper into this uh, survey data, we can see that there's a whole lot of different aspects of personalization that I expect by, from consumers now. So consumers expect to make it easier for them to navigate in-store and online. Uh, uh, consumers expect to receive relevant product and services recommendations, tailored messages to um, their needs, uh, offered, offering of targeted promotions, uh, celebration of milestones, and so on. So list goes on, right? Now, this is all from a consumer perspective. So why am I mentioning that in the context of uh, sales enablement and, and B2B uh, buying and selling? The reason is uh, quite simple, because uh, this research piece here by Salesforce really establishes that um, business buyers these days have even higher expectations than consumers, right? Now, if we think about this, this research piece from McKinsey, it really shows that um, the, the expectations are really sky high to begin with. Now, if you imagine a business buyer, so you can draw from the consumer experience as a consumer and also as a, uh, as a the experience as a buyer, um, you can expect, uh, you can, you can, you suddenly realize how sky high the business buyer expectations are in terms of personalization. And it's really uh, worthwhile uh, pursuing that and uh, taking consumer trends as an indicator um, for the kind of personalization that is required from a business buyer perspective. Now, in terms of the um, the kinds of personalizations that um, B2B sellers um, can practice in their content, uh, there, there's a whole lot. So uh, common areas uh, that we're looking at is, uh, of course, the kind of roles that you're targeting. So personalization, depending on uh, who you're targeting, um, with your uh, in the buying team, so a CEO would have different content requirements, different personalization requirements than a CTO. Um, industries, of course, play a role on the highest level. Um, whether you target a B two B business or B two C business, um, or um, uh, the, for example, the uh, manufacturing um, space would be very different uh, to the high tech space. Company size uh, plays a really a crucial role. Knowledge levels on the buying side, uh, the kind of channel preferences where buyers want to consume content, so whether they uh, utilize social media, 
whether they utilize email or whether they just want to have one place where can where they can find um, all the information uh, that they need. Uh, location, of course, is a really big topic, especially here in Australia, where we deal with the APEC market that is highly fragmented and uh, has a lot of requirements for personalization when it comes to language, when it comes to business culture and so on. And then, of course, the buying stage, um, where the buyer is uh, within their buying journey and what sort of information is required at the respective stage they're, they're at. In terms of the the uh, the categories of uh, customization, we're kind of looking at uh, two key categories. Uh, number one is the curation of content, which is essentially the assembly of uh, content depending on the requirements of the buyer. So this is, um, this is the easiest uh, way to personalize. Uh, the salesperson uh, plays a real crucial role here in actually assembling the content according to the buyer uh, needs. And uh, customization of content, which means that uh, specific content formats um, are customized towards the buyer needs. And uh, we'll talk about both of those ways to personalize in more details in a second, but I just want to um, touch on them briefly, briefly to set the scene for you guys. Now, if we know what to personalize for and uh, how to personalize, how come we don't live in a utopian uh, economy where... Um, you know, purchase decisions are being made seamlessly because all the content is irrelevant and um, responds to all their information needs and uh, buyers feel so well educated that they make decisions in no time. Well, the reason is that most of the time the problem is the seller organization and there's a few things that are typically missing in order to personalize effectively. Uh, the number one reason that I come across is uh, missing buyer and business acumen. So uh, sellers don't really understand the buyers, uh, their roles, and the sort of uh, business challenges that they're dealing with, um, which obviously stops them from uh, personalizing content accordingly. Uh, industry knowledge is missing. So um, sellers don't understand um, what sort of challenges the respective industries that they're dealing with are currently facing, what sort of industry trends are impacting those and how that relates uh, to the solutions that they're selling. A strategic alignment internally is often missing. So sales is not aligned with marketing, especially a problem if marketing is producing content. Uh, so there's, there's a misalignment there. Uh, and uh, budget is often at times a problem if organizations have only very limited um, uh, in-house production capabilities when it comes to content. And so there's only infinite runway for organizations on that front um, to actually personalize content. And then time is, of course, also a constraint, especially if the roles um, and the functions within the business that are contributing to personalize, personalizing content are really stretched for time and are really under pressure uh, to deliver on other things. Uh, that is really a showstopper for a lot of organizations on that front. Now, when it comes to the degrees of personalization, um, I, um, I typically um, uh, look at the content degree of buyer content personalization um, versus the buyer journey pro progression. And um, what we typically look at is um, that there's a very low level of personalization happening early in the buy, buyer journey uh, progression. And um, the, the further you progress uh, towards the 
um, the end of the buyer journey, meaning that um, you know people actually making a purchase decision, using the product, uh, renewing, and so on. Um, that's where you really have a higher degree of personalization because they get more of a, um, a personal personal interaction uh, with sellers and with customer success, which then um, allows for greater insight from a seller perspective and for a, a greater degree of insight that then leads to the ability to personalize content. Yeah, And um, in the beginning of the buyer journey, oftentimes the problem that uh, sellers face is that um, they have to communicate with a target market at scale, uh, which then leads to a limited amount of personalization um, and also, therefore, a limited amount of relevance and impact to their target markets. Yeah. Now, the magic really happens for organizations that are able to find a way to personalize their content earlier in the buyer journey, which um, leads to greater relevance and impact early on and also provides a competitive advantage compared to um, other players in their target market or in their market, uh, which might um, only follow the standard approach of personalizing later in the buyer journey. Now, the question is uh, how we uh, get there and um, how we get to that um, personalization early on in the buyer journey. And um, the very first step that you should always follow is to specify the goals. Yeah, so, so specify the go-to-market goals for the sales organization. And um, you know, some examples are um, the penetration of a new industry segment, the launch into a new uh, territory. Uh, you know, it might be a, a location within your existing uh, target country, or it might be new countries that you're targeting increase uh, product revenue share within your entire product portfolio. So you want to increase the revenue share of a certain product that has more of a strategic value to the organization or to upsell, cross-sell. So personalization um, can never be a goal in itself. Personalization always has to contribute um, to the overarching goal of the sales organization. So therefore, it is really crucial to specify the goals that you're targeting um, before you start your personalization journey. Now, the next step in the process would be to um, to reestablish or revisit or to validate uh, buyer personas. And, um, you know, it, it, I would always recommend uh, doing so uh, by talking directly to your target market and leading interviews uh, for those organizations that are well-resourced and do this on a regular basis. Um, I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, it's it's uh, nothing you wouldn't do anyway, but um, generally speaking, I would always uh, recommend revisiting buyer personas if you um, approach a major strategic project um, or a smaller strategic project uh, such as uh, buyer content personalization. Now, as part of this buyer uh, persona analysis, I would always recommend uh, looking at the kind of roles uh, that they're dealing with um, internally, what the collaborators are, what their priorities are, and so on, which really helps you to nail down uh, the the kind of personalization that you need to undertake to make the con content that you present to them more relevant. The next step then in the process is, uh, and again, anybody who follows my content on a more regular basis knows that I keep on banging on about this topic. And this is something that uh, I believe is really crucial and underutilized for a lot of organizations. And that is the mapping of the buyer journey. Yeah? Mapping of the buyer journey is really crucial in order to be customer centric and uh, to really make the life of your customers easy 
um, um, in your sales enablement activity. So you map the buyer journey, then overlay your sales process, which specifies how your sales organization feeds into this the buyer journey and makes their life easier. And uh, then you also map the content accordingly. So what sort of content is required uh, can be delivered through your sales organization to support the buyer journey and make the, the life of the roles involved at the different stages easier. And once you have created clarity around those uh, things, suddenly you paint a picture that uh, makes it much, much easier to understand where you fall short, where you um, hit the mark to a certain degree, and where you are already doing really well. And um, this is often a revelation because a lot of organizations have an an intuition on uh, where they're doing not so well, but actually putting it on paper and really mapping mapping out the buyer journeys um, can really um, create clarity around those areas and specifically in the content area. And uh, we typically utilize a uh, rather large spreadsheet in those kind of projects with clients that helps us to actually map all those variables, the different touch points of different buyer personas um, throughout the buyer journey and the content accordingly. But um, no matter how sophisticated and um, how much detail you actually apply throughout this exercise, um, the journey, the sales process, and the content, and they're the kind of three things that you should um, that you should map in each case to actually create clarity um, around your gaps. Now that you've actually created clarity and um, identified where you're missing uh, content and where it makes sense to personalize, um, it it come it actually goes into the nitty gritty of the tactical execution and. Um, one of the ways to personalize content um, I want to explain first, which is modular content. And modular content um, is the, the harder type of content to personalize because it is a combination of standardized content and personalized content. And if we take the example of a sales presentation, what you could, for example, be looking at is a presentation that has, has certain slides that are standardized. And then certain slides uh, that can be swapped depending on um, what sort of buyer um, you're targeting and what sort of uh, industry segment you're targeting. Yeah, and uh, an example could be that a the challenge uh, outlines um, that describes your target market's challenge is is the same across all of the organizations that you target, uh, and then the impact statement. Um, that specifies what sort of uh, problem specifically um, your company is able to solve and what sort of KPIs are impacted. Uh, That might differ depending on the specific segment um, that you're talking to. And you might be able to actually um, have different slides that that states um, that impact in different ways. And a a presentation, for example, uh, might contain those personalized slides and that can be swapped out by the sales team, uh, depending on who they're talking to. Um, another um, popular um, uh, example of personalization in, in the slide deck example would be uh, use cases or case studies, You know, depending on who specifically your buyer is, what sort of uh, organization you target. You might include uh, slides that uh, speak to uh, different kinds of buyers in different ways and can be swapped out depending on who you're talking to. Now, uh, a slide deck is a um, is a low hanging fruit when it comes to examples of personalization. Often, uh, obviously, because slide decks are a very popular content format in the sales context, but that can really apply to any sort of content that your sales team uses. So, 
for example, if you think about infographics, um, infographics that um, have different modules um, can be personalized accordingly. So um, your marketing team might create five different versions of the infographic depending on the uh, target market that you're speaking to with uh, different modules that are more relevant to specific segments. These can be uh, phone scripts, um, which are tailored to, uh, depending on the kind of uh, target market that you're speaking to. Um, it can be videos that have different introductions depending on who you're speaking to and so on. So modular content uh, um, or content can be modular really across any sort of content format that you can think of in the sales context. And that really comes comes down to the kind of bio content examples I mentioned initially. So there's, there's a huge range uh, of content formats that can be modular, that can be personalized. The, the next uh, way to personalize content is uh, curated content. Yeah? And uh, content curation becomes more and more important these days uh, when you think about uh, the overload of messaging that is going on. If you think about, um, for example, email as still one of the most popular ways to interact with buyers, um, and you think about all the emails that are going back and forth with buyers, uh, with potential information, and also the distraction through other emails that a buyer might receive, email becomes really a less and less um, interesting and uh, less and less relevant uh, channel in the buyer interaction. And uh, content curation and really collecting content uh, that is tailored towards the buyer needs becomes a really popular way to uh, reduce friction on that front. So what that means is suddenly you uh, the buyer has all the content that they need in one place uh, in a personalized manner. And... Um, the, the fact that content is assembled towards the uh, buyer needs and customized um, accordingly is personalization in itself. So you might have um, a number of generic assets, but um, by the fact that you um, collect these assets and assemble these assets specific to your uh, target buyer needs, um, you already um, take a lot of friction out of the process of educating the buyer and making the content more relevant. Now, you can then take it to the next level by um, uh, integrating modular content in the curated content. So, for example, uh, if you have case studies, um, if you have, um, uh, you know, demo recordings and so on, if you um, create modular versions of those and really tailor to the individual buyer's needs, you can then take the content curation to the next level. Now, the next step, once you've actually personalized the content, um, is to increase the ease of use for the sales team. And there's kind of two key components uh, to that. And uh, number one is the sales briefing. So um, it's actually uh, educating the sales team on what sort of content formats are available, uh, what sort of um, personalization is being conducted or can be conducted within those uh, content formats. For example, um, if it's modular content, or how you recommend content being curated for certain uh, target bar, uh, target industry segments. Uh, so um, those kind of briefing sessions are best done in, in real time. So I would never recommend actually doing those uh, briefing sessions uh, through emails. Uh, those are best done in me meetings, so you can clarify any questions uh, with the sales team. And then the second part is uh, to that is actually um, the storage of those content formats. Yeah, and there's different uh, levels of sophistication which uh, offer different levels of friction uh, for the sales team. 
Um, so um, at the bottom end of the spectrum, you just have simply folders, uh, which is something that I still come across in some cases. So that means uh, content is being shared through emails with some sort of um, um, uh, content producer. So for example, uh, product marketing or marketing sends out an email and says, hey guys, uh, here's a new slide deck uh, for, um, uh, for your target buyers. And uh, those uh, content assets are then stored on the respective sales reps uh, folder or in the email inbox. And this is really the lowest level of sophistication. Uh, then the next level would be shared drives, um, which allows for uh, better management of assets, centralized management by whoever produces the content or manages the content. Uh, shared drives uh, with the taxonomy and tags, which make it easier for sales uh, people to search for content and find content. It's the next level of sophistication. Uh, then the next level up, um, that, that's a bit more specialized and requires specific tools. So a sales CMS um, is becoming more and more common. So there's more niche providers uh, like Enablex, for example, um, or um, more mainstream providers uh, like Seismic or Highspot or Showpad, which allow for the management of dedicated uh, sales content assets. Um, those CMSs are more sophisticated just simply because um, they are uh, their search functionality is more sophisticated. It's easier for uh, sales enablement teams to actually um, package content um, upfront for sales teams and structure content in a certain way that makes it easier for sales to use it. And then the ultimate way to really uh, structure content and make it really easily accessible for sales is the combination of a, a sales CMS and a CRM integration. The reason why that is the most sophisticated way is because sales would uh, typically um, look to reduce the amount of uh, separate systems and tools that they use uh, throughout the sales process. And considering that they're most likely to already use a CRM, a CRM integration is really powerful in a way that um, you can have uh, standardized or um, or you can have a customized, sorry, um, a recommendation on what sort of content to use for specific clients' um, um, opportunities. Um, the, the CMS would feed those recommendations straight into the CRM in some cases, uh, you're able to search uh, CMS content straight into in the CRM and so on. So this this really offers the greatest level of sophistication when it comes to reducing the uh, the friction and increasing the ease of use for sales. Now, then, once you've actually um, pr uh, planned, produced, and uh, shared the content uh, with sales, they go out, um, use it in market, share it through whatever means necessary. Um, you then obviously want to um, see how it actually resonated um, so you can optimize uh, the content um, and uh, be more and more strategic in personalizing that content. Um, there's different measures you can use. I would always recommend um, measuring the overall sales effectiveness, even though um, whatever metrics you use to uh, measure sales effectiveness would always be a blended uh, metric of all the sales enablement efforts that you that you um, implement. Um, so there, there might be a number of different initiatives that you implement and um, pers content personalization might be one part of it. But um, because that is the, the North Star, um, it is always worthwhile looking at that. Um, and uh, the next metrics I would be looking at 
um, is the CMS engagement data. So if you have a CMS, it's really worthwhile to actually look at uh, what sort of content pieces generate the greatest engagement from a buyer perspective. So if you have any measurement capabilities, that is worth looking at uh, to actually analyze uh, if you have uh, different sort of assets that speak to the same buyer at, at similar buying stages, what resonates most. Um, and then win loss analysis. I can only reemphasize that over and over again, you have to talk to the buyer and you have to uh, get those qualitative insights from your buyers to really um, assess um, not only your sales process and sales impact, but also the the um, the degree of uh, content impact and the sort of personalization efforts and how they resonated with the buyers. And uh, I think part of any win-loss analysis should always be the question around content. Uh, what sort of content did you find most useful um, in the way uh, you made your buying decision? Um, what was missing in the content? Uh, what resonated most? Uh, did you have all the content available uh, to effectively share certain information within different roles within your organization and so on? And those kind of qualitative insights uh, will be really valuable uh, for you to assess um, the um, the impact your personalization efforts have, have had. Um, and then on top of that, um, I would all, also always receive seller feedback. But seller feedback, I think, um, should be the lowest priority um, just simply because it really provides an isolated view on content effectiveness and uh, doesn't provide any sort of independent um, insight into uh, how it actually resonated with, with buyers. Of course, sellers will um, get some uh, indicative feedback from buyers at times and uh, anecdotal feedback uh, if they share the content in real time or they might receive feedback via email where a buyer um, requests additional information that is not there or buyer um, uh, provides feedback that certain, certain information was very useful. So that, that can provide some insight, but um, I would always use that sort of insight as uh, complementary to the others that I just mentioned. Now, this is the whole, really the whole journey of how to tackle strategic personalization of content. And just to recap the different stages, uh, you start out by specifying go-to-market goals. You then review and validate buyer personas. You map buyer journey, the buyer journey and sales process, which would then allow you to map the buyer content. You identify uh, personalization gaps in your content. Uh, you specify the personalization approach whether it's uh, modular or curated, and apply that to the different content pieces. Uh, you improve the ease of use by briefing your sales team and storing content in a centralized location. And then uh, you measure and optimize on a regular basis uh, to ensure that you really achieve the impact um, that you want to achieve. This is really the whole journey. But before I let you, know, uh, let you go, I really want to share a case study that really brings that whole concept of content personalization to life and really shows, based on a real-world example, uh, what sort of impact content personalization can really have. And um, the example that I want to sh share here is uh, from a company that was launching a new product category at scale. And uh, this, this company, uh, or no matter if you... Um, uh, what sort of uh, product you launch. If it's a new product category and a new category that the market is not familiar with, this 
always offers a great opportunity, of course, because uh, you're likely to be a first mover in your market. But it also offers a great challenge because the market is not very educated in that area and they really have a great desire to actually, or they have a really great need to actually understand the product benefits because they haven't learned anything about it yet. Yeah. And um, in this particular example, the market education was really uh, not scalable in the SMB segment. Uh, when it came to enterprise accounts, accounts, that was really straightforward because there was a limited number of accounts that could be targeted uh, with with sales content and uh, content could be personalized. Uh, but in the SMB segment, it really became too fragmented. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, there was a great opportunity from a revenue perspective to actually uh, gain traction in the SMB space segment. And um, this particular company did not want to miss out on, on that opportunity as well. So the solution um, to this challenge was to, um, in the enterprise space, uh, to conduct an in-person roadshow, as um, you would typically do with a, a new product launch. So in this roadshow, um, what we did was we uh, integrated pers personalization modules, so we really had an um, opportunity to um, to really easily personalize those uh, presentations depending on the uh, kind of organization um, we were presenting to and the kind of roles that were present. Um, and in the SMB space, what we did was we recorded on-demand uh, webinars, uh, different versions of a webinar, um, again, modular, uh, which was paired with uh, then follow up Q and A calls, which allowed us to uh, to reach more buyers um, in a more personalized way uh, at scale. So um, a whole lot of uh, buyers were able to actually consume those webinars, and then we were able to have really structured Q and A calls and cover a whole lot of ground by having the respective um, uh, product specialists on the call to really answer their questions and um, also drive the education uh, forward. On top of that, for both segments, what we also did was we curated content depending on um, the needs of the SMB uh, market segment or the uh, individual enterprise accounts, um, which also contributed to um, to the respective uh, buyers uh, to have greater insights or uh, greater education levels uh, really quickly. On top of that, we also produced uh, content um, there was there were sales tools to support consultative selling. So um, especially because um, the product category was new, um, there is uh, generally in those kind of scenarios uh, very little uh, room for a tr uh, transactional selling attitude. You really need to be consultative. And those kind of tools that we created, um, which were mainly infographics and calculators, really made it easy for sales to, uh, through the infographics, uh, showcase how the solution fits into the customer's uh, business, really visualize that um, in a really easy-to-understand way, um, really makes it made it easier for the customer and the salesperson to narrow down um, which part of the solution can impact what sort of part of the business and where to focus the conversation. And then calculators made it really easy to assess uh, the costs and the estimated impact um, that the solution was able to generate in that respective area. So uh, the combination of those different tools was really um, the reason for the impact that we were able to generate. And this particular product launch in this new category uh, generated $2 million uh, within the first 12 months. So that was really great traction for that uh, business. So that was uh, far beyond um, the expectations. 
And um, on top of that, when we created win-loss analysis, um, as mentioned earlier, as one of the uh, measurement mechanisms, uh, content relevance was identified as one of the key contributors to each of purchase for those uh, businesses that ended up buying. And um, there was really a, uh, a great uh, proof uh, for the effort that was put into personalization and um, really showed that it is not only desirable to generally um, make life easier for the buyer, but it really offers commercial benefit and it is proven through qualitative insights that really made a difference for buyers throughout their journey. Well, that was it for today for strategic content personalization. Uh, I hope you found it useful. Um, as always, if you want to continue the conversation, and this is really something that I thrive on, so please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I'm on, most active on LinkedIn. Uh, look me up at Felix Krueger. Uh, if you want to email me uh, with follow-up questions, please also feel free to email me at felix at krugermarketing.com. Uh, um, what I'm also looking for is always input into uh, the desire for uh, future sessions and uh, topics that we want to cover in future sessions. So uh, please make sure to share um, any sales enablement related uh, topics that you're interested in. Um, we really want to um, do more of these deep dives um, also in the new year. Um, we also want to integrate subject matter experts from outside the business. So if you're interested in um, hearing about specific topics, please let me know. As always, thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. And that was it for today's episode. If you would like to learn more about sales enablement, please make sure to subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement podcast, where we republish these kinds of live sessions, as well as interviews with the leading sales enablement experts from around the world. Thank you so much for joining today, and I'll speak to you soon.